Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the nonprofit news feed, well, we're talking about some of the events that went on during MLK Day as we're recording this the day after. And Nick, I, I hope you had a, a great weekend and were able to celebrate in your own way. Yeah, so it was a brisk but lovely weekend here in New York. We hope you're staying dry and safe out in California. But to your point, yes, we want to talk about nonprofits giving back to communities on MLK Day. So yesterday was MLK Day in these United States, and nonprofits across the country are working to give back to communities. One nonprofit in Virginia named Rise Against Hunger worked to fill 50,000 bags of food to serve communities in need, noting that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. himself spoke frequently about the issue of hunger, uh, which catalyzed this organization to focus on emergency food relief. And in Charlotte, uh, communities were finding assistance from organizations like Promise Youth Development, which serves to educate uh, kids and young people about Dr. King's led legacy while advocating for social justice. And recently, they started providing kids with um, healing and relationship building support between students and police uh, during the ongoing conversation about um, police and community relations in America. So I think that MLK Day is a point of reflection, a catalyst to service, and an opportunity for nonprofits to show how they are making their communities safer, more inclusive, and more just. Yeah, it's great to see how the holiday evolves with the times and how it can be used to, to spark those types of conversations and social impact activities. And just knowing that people are more primed to, to volunteer and have uh, have those dialogues around this time. Uh, and of course, moving into, into Order Order Black History Month coming up uh, next month. It is um, you know good to see also uh, the amount of coverage in the news that we saw. Absolutely. All right. Shall I take us into the summary? Yeah, what do we got? All right, George, I'm so excited for this story. Not because the main antagonist of this story shares your name, no relation, mm -hmm. but we are talking about George Santos, famed Republican uh, congressperson from Long Island and parts of Queens. But um, his George Santos has been in the news recently for, uh, as it turns out, fabricating almost the entirety of his resume, professional and personal background. Um, but the reason we are talking about him on this podcast is that Santos claimed to have started a animal welfare nonprofit called Friends of Pets United. And apparently this nonprofit, which was listed as such on an early version of his campaign website, in fact, did not exist. Apparently, the only inkling of any evidence that such an organization existed is a now defunct Facebook page, but the nonprofit was never registered under the IRS, uh, never made donations to organizations it claimed to, 
And Asanto said the group rescued 2,400 dogs and 280 cats um, between 2013 and 2018. However, there is absolutely zero evidence at all that such activities happened. Um, this is a ghost organization, and I think leads into a broader narrative about how big charities are, in fact, a real problem. The article we link out to in the news feed at nonprofitnewsfeed.com goes through why this is such a problem uh, because it diverts donations away from legitimate organizations as well as undercuts donors' confidence in giving. So, George, what's your take on this? And then I'm going to follow up and ask you what's your favorite George Santos lie? Um, God. It's so hard to choose. Not really, you know, no, nothing proud here about how there was failings, I think, on, on several different levels. And if your immediate reaction here is to be angry at George Santos, um, just acknowledge that, like, you know, there are many people creating many fake charities. There are also many folks that look to take advantage by lying about uh, their accomplishments resume in order to get ahead. And so where does the onus fall? Well, if you're applying to a job, the hiring manager should check on these things, maybe call a reference. And I suppose the United States Congress is hiring somebody. Voters are hiring somebody. The news outlet, one of the branches of anything that we rely on, should maybe do background checks. And so I'd say there are a, a cascade of failures that led to this. Um, and they're on both sides, really, right? DNC opponents that did literally nothing in terms of researching their opponent. Journalists that put that name down without calling a single thing whatsoever, checking anything in IRS record. Something that would have taken the amount of time of brewing a cup of coffee would have revealed. Um, and then the RNC, which is in an unenviable situation now, of letting, letting someone in who is... A categorical lie. Um, and then you can see nonprofits here because nonprofits are frequently used to burnish the reputations of those that need that work done. And that, that story is on repeat. I would say one of those things that's in the back of my mind is whenever I hear now the, the specificity of, of work, right? You're out there counting that that men, number of cats, like there's a certain, like we've helped a lot. We've helped over hundreds uh, to say 280 cats. Um, also, why fewer cats than dogs? 280 cats versus 2,400 dogs. It, you know, I, I don't know if those numbers would attract. And then release 3,000 cats. Yeah, I, there's a lot of numbers here. They're too specific for me. This is what it's, it's such a mess. Um <laughs> I can say that uh, in addition to apparently creating a fake nonprofit um, and not going, I'm working at any of the jobs he claimed to have worked or going to school where he claimed to work, uh, Santos is in the unenviable position of being under county, state, and federal investigation in the United States, as well as under... <laughs> a case that was reopened in the lovely country of Brazil. Um, apparently, they've been looking for him for a long time, and there he is in the U.S. Congress. Um, so, yeah. Hold but on. I, here's here's okay. where 
Here's where allegedly, I want to go back to the cats and dogs though. Okay, so in the U.S., uh, approximately 4.1 million shelter animals are adopted each year. You want to guess the breakdown? I I don't know. Fifty fifty. Precisely, two million dogs, two point one million cats. Okay, so going back to those numbers, this is why it's off, right? How are you? How are you that far off in terms of the the rescue numbers? Twenty four hundred dogs, two hundred cats. I I don't think this guy likes cats. I think there is a cat, a, a bias against cats, um, that that you should look out for. That's that's really that's a spicy take, numbers, right? And he's making up numbers. I will say his compatriot for the New York City mayoral election, uh, Curtis Sliwa, is famously a cat person and has nine cats and is very pro-cat. So uh, maybe just many layers of division and rife and just bizarreness in this story. But this does take us to our next story as both sad and fun as this one is. Um, about a nonprofit organization in Alaska, um, which uh, used seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in federal funds improperly. So to revive Alaska Community Services food pantry was facing serious questions about how the group spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in federal funds throughout the pandemic. Um, Anchorage itself received a hundred million dollars to distribute uh, to various organizations and for various uh, reasons, um, but nobody seems to know where this money goes and how that $750,000 helped feed families in Anchorage. There seems to be some just kind of sketchy what happened here um, in, in the saga. And there's, there's more details you won't get into, but um, it's important to be accountable. Yeah, and sadly, I think we're seeing a lot of that. Where did the money go now that the, you know, pain of the pandemic has has mainly passed from the peak periods, and it's a it's a reminder to to be documenting these types of things and um, in your accounting. But this was this seems pretty questionable because they were given um, three quarters of a million dollars to rebuild a barn that was a food pantry. Huh. Instead, the structure was torn down. So you're like, well, wait. a little different. Little different. Not great. Um, but we will go now from not great to I think is great. Uh, George, you threw this article in from the inimitable Pew Research Center that the 118th U.S. Congress, our current Congress, is the most racially and ethnically diverse Congress in history. Um, so according to Pew Research, um, this is actually the seventh Congress to break that record uh, set by the one before it. And overall, 133 senators and representatives today identify as Black, Hispanic, Asian American, American Indian, or Alaskan Native, according to this analysis. Um, and this is increasing in every Congress. Um Interestingly, or perhaps unsurprisingly, um, I think 80% of these members um, caucus with the Democrat Party. Um, but that being said, Congress is becoming more representative of America as a whole. Um, approximately now, Congress is approximately 75% white, 
um, which is brings it closer in line with the overall U.S. population, um, which is now at 59% white um, and will soon actually be uh, minority white if demographic trends continue. So I'm all for it. Representative Congress or representative democracy. Let's go. Yeah, and the Republicans are making a couple ticks toward the right direction. Um, previously, it was, you know, sort of 17 percent, 83 percent distribution for non-white lawmakers uh, in terms of the, the breakdown of uh, diversity in Congress. So uh, slight increases uh, there. But overall, you know, it's just great to see over the past two decades to see this number nearly double um, and clearly tracking U.S. population, see it uh, in that way. And it's also a good reminder for what representative democracy will hopefully become as the, the people representing representatives, representing communities will uh, will reflect them. Absolutely. All right. Uh, we will take us now to our last story in the summary, and this comes from Axios and others. And the headline of this article is Greta Thunberg has been detained by police at a German coal protest. And the article comes with a pretty dramatic uh, photo of Greta being kind of whisked away by some scary looking cops in riot gear. Uh, it turns out that climate activist Greta Thunberg um, was detained today uh, protesting a coal mine expansion in the German coal mining town of Rutsarat, um, where she was physically removed from the site. Um, apparently, Thunberg was participating in a sit-in near the edge of the mine, um, a pretty kind of uh, hands-on approach to activism from fellow climate activists. Um, but George, I can't help but being struck how similar this uh, photo seems to the photos of activists um, protesting for clean water, um, particularly adjacent to Native American uh, reservations and communities um, in the United States, not just uh, a couple years ago. Um, it seems strikingly similar uh, and real interesting to see uh, such, such tactics taken by activists and protesters. I think it's a, it's a, a tough one. I like the activism angle here in terms of you have a young person able to command such a powerful presence and message, right? Uh, and on the other hand, you have, I think, Germany and, and some other countries making energy decisions that actually cut off the bridge to sustainable energy. And you feel that, especially when you're dealing with a conflict in Russia and them cutting off various pipeline resources pieces, that, you know, it's one thing to say you're going to go on a carbon a carbon neutral path, but if you don't have the plan to get there, all you've done is maybe given disproportionate power to Russia and other coal generating areas because that energy has to come from somewhere. And I think there's uh, there was a lack of planning and a lot of promising shutting down nuclear power plants of reducing the production without the plant. Um, and so I think the next phase that I honestly hope to see from Thunberg and others are, are the plan part, not the just the protest and stop this. Uh, because the truth is when you uh, drastically increase energy prices overnight, when you create dependencies on uh, governments such as Russia, 
um, to give them disproportionate power in the region. Uh, you hurt large swaths of humanity and indirectly, directly hurt the environment. And so um, protest, but have a plan. Uh, I, I, I think the, the Greek movement can easily have that critique going back 30, 40 years of, you know, evolving. Hopefully it's, it's approach to the industry and how you get a path rather than a protest to, uh, to green energy. It's complicated. Um, when I see these types of things, it's easy to sort of celebrate. Yeah. Close it down on the other side. Like with regard to coal mining, it's, you're not going to solve this winter's problem with coal taken from the ground, right? That <laughs> has to be processed, has to be pushed through. And so like how, you know, how you're planning this is also confusing to me. Uh, I don't know. A lot of thoughts I have. Yeah, George, I think that's right. It's interesting. I was um, actually recently talking from someone uh, to, to someone from Germany, um, and she was saying that by far and away, the energy crisis there is the most talked about issue and has been for well over a year now um, in Central Europe. So it's interesting to get kind of a glimpse into that world. Um, and I think similar um, in, in other countries, particularly the UK as well. Um, yeah, kind of an interesting look across the pond uh, into how these issues play out in the public sphere there. All right, how about a feel-good story? Yeah, what do we got? All right, this is from 8newsnow.com, and it is reporting out of Las Vegas, where a local nonprofit is celebrating helping Black entrepreneurs on MLK Day. The organization is called Global SoCo, which is a nonprofit dedicated to helping Black-owned businesses, um, like the one mentioned in the article, get a boost. Um, I think it's really cool to see community organizations like this uh, working to support Black entrepreneurs and Black community members. And uh, I think really kind of coincides with the legacy uh, and desire of MLK um, to see the, that community kind of work together. So real cool stuff. Shout out to them. Yeah, absolutely. Love the angle of entrepreneurship and, and actually helping folks get um, a, a leg up in the industry and good excuse again to to use MLK to evolve to the needs of the community and, and where we are in the world. So thanks, Nick. I appreciate you giving the summary as always. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. Oh my gosh. We almost forgot to tell you why Cinderella is so terrible at planning nonprofit fundraising events. Nick, any any ideas why she's just such a tough hire in this regard? I I couldn't tell you. Well, the fact is she's always running away from the ball. There you go. Well, you got your joke. I stand with us.